I love that video. It's awesome. And, and I'm sure that if you've never seen it before, uh, before it took the 180, you're like, what a great day to be in church. I, I, I feel so good. I feel so encouraged. I, I feel so hopeful. I remember when I first saw it for the first time, and I'm watching the thing, I'm like, what the heck is that about? I don't know if I want to live anymore. You know, but when it flipped around, it was so awesome. And it felt so good. Maple Grove, God is great. God is good. And God is faithful. Pray with me. God, we love you and we need you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for this time. Uh, we thank you that in you we can turn things around. That it's never too late to become who you want us to be. Father, I, I pray that our hearts and minds will be open to your truth. Holy Spirit, you know what I need to say. You know what people need to hear. I, I pray that you speak. And I pray that people hear and they respond to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now next week we're going to jump back into our understanding the Uh, the Bible series talking about principles for interpretation, but this morning I want to talk about, and the title is, Never the Same Again. A uh, question, what would you like to, to change about yourself, about your, about your life? What would you like to be different? I mean, take a moment, really think about it, and maybe even write something down in your notes. What would you like to change? What would you like to be different? Do you want to be less fearful more confident, have more self-control? Would you like to be less anxious? Would you like to be more compassionate and more courageous? Would you like to have more follow-through with your hopes and your dreams? Again, what would you like not only to see, but to be different in your life? Now, now early this morning, I, I was on my back patio, and I was reading Psalm 139, and, and God taught me something pretty sweet about about change from his perspective. And, and here's what I heard him say to me. Again, it wasn't an audible voice, but it doesn't have to be, right? Sometimes you just know it's him. And here's what I heard him say. He said, Steve, I, I don't just love you. I, I like you. After all, I created you. I knit you in your mother's womb. And listen, I created you to be you, to be Steve Malone. And, and yes, you need to change, But not to become someone else, but instead to become more of the you that you were meant to be. You see, God did not create you, did not knit you to be fearful, right? To have doubts, to hold on to bitterness and hurts, right? To be full of insecurity, to have a bad temper, right? The struggle with sin. That, that's not how God created you. You know, but what has happened is sin has messed it all up, right? This world, the sinful world, our own choices, our own behaviors, things done to us. You know, but change, you know, it's not about becoming someone different. It's about becoming you, right? The, the you that you were meant to be before this world kind of messed it up. Does that make sense? God doesn't want you to be someone else. He just wants you to be you. He wants you to be, as one author likes to say, you here, right? And now turn to the person to your, to your right and left and say, you need to be you here. 
And see, some of the kids will be asking, why are you saying words like that, right, in, in church? What does that even mean? And, and listen, here's the deal. If you want to be you here, you want to be the you that God created to be, you're at the right place at the right time because you're in the presence of God, the one who can, who can change everything. Understand, change for the good, for the better, for the best. It's why Jesus came. It's why, it's why he left heaven. It's why, it's why he put on flesh. It's why he was nailed to a cross. And because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Paul could write these words in 2 Corinthians verse 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And he could write these words in Romans 6. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in a new way of life. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at a story in in Luke chapter 5, a story about a paralyzed guy who had four really, really good friends. And in this story, we're going to see that this guy, after meeting Jesus, he was never the same again. Luke chapter 5. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralytic on a mat um, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who is speaking blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up and walk? And that's a great question, right? Why are you thinking these things? Why are you thinking these negative and destructive things in your heart? Luke continues, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what, had, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I don't know about you, but I like to see that happen, right? Today. I mean, is that, is that possible or is that like done, like over, right? That was just a first century thing, right? You know, but can, can something remarkable happen even today, right now, in this room, in our lives, in our own spiritual walk with God? Man, we saw remarkable things today, right? It's incredible. And listen, if there's ever a man who needed to have some changes in his life, it was this guy. I mean, think about it. He has spent years, perhaps his whole life, on a little mat. Years having other people carry him. Years watching others walk and run and live. Years unable to move. Years living life stuck on that little three foot by six foot mat. I understand someone else had to prepare his meals and care for him and clean him. He never knew the sense of independence that you and I crave so much. And nothing could be done medically, no surgery, there was no rehab programs. And anyone in this condition in the first century would have to just lie beside the road waiting for a few coins to fall. And sure, he dreams. And sometimes in his dreams, he has legs, he has a healthy body, and he can, 
He has a job, a family, he has children that he runs around in the yard and plays with. But then he wakes up staring at a ceiling in a room that he will never walk out of, staring at a body that holds him prisoner, staring at a mat that comprises his entire world. And, and you know, this week, as I thought about this guy lying on a mat, unable to move, wanting to move, wanting to be somewhere else, wanting to, to be someone else, but physically stuck, paralyzed, I got to thinking about the countless people in our world who are emotionally paralyzed. People in our world, our community, maybe even in this room, who have spent years, maybe their whole lives, unable to move, wanting to move, frustrated, wanting to be somewhere else, wanting to be someone else. But they can't, they're stuck on a mat. Now, there are many paralyzing emotions in life. You can be paralyzed by fear, by worry, by loneliness, by anger, by guilt, by resentment, by past hurt, to name a few. And when... And when you're emotionally paralyzed, you feel helpless and you feel, you feel hopeless. And you begin to say things like, my marriage is never going to get any better. I'll never be able to handle all this pressure. I'll never break that bad habit. I'll never be able to forgive the person who hurt me. I'll never move beyond the pain of that loss. I'll, I'll never do the things I, I dreamed of doing. I'll never become the person that I, I want to become. I'll never overcome the cycle of destruction that is such a part of my family history and now my own history. And, and there are three emotions in particular that really can, can paralyze us from change and becoming youier, who God wants us to be. Our fears about the future? Got any? Our regrets about the past? You got a few of those, right? And doubts about our ability. There's no way I can pull this off. Fears, regrets, and doubts. I mean, we look to the future and we're afraid to change. And we look behind us to the past and we don't think we deserve the change. We deserve a better life because of the things that we've done. And we look at ourselves and say, you know, I don't have what it takes. I'll never be able to pull this off to get off this mat. Now, the good news is that in our story today in, in Luke chapter 5, we're going to meet a guy whose life was radically changed by Jesus. And in this story, we'll see that Jesus is both willing and able to deal with all three of those issues, our doubts, our fears, and our regrets. Okay, let's unpack our text. Now, first thing Jesus does for this crippled guy is he eases his fears, Okay, imagine the scene. There's a packed room, standing room only. I mean, it's so crowded that people are standing in the doorway, and these four guys are trying to get Jesus in, but they can't, so they, they climb the roof, right? And they start doing some remodeling, right? No permit, right? They start ripping off tiles, and next thing you know, there's this huge hole in the roof, and, and then these four guys, they start to lower this guy on a mat. Now, how would you feel if you were this guy? And what would you be thinking and feeling as your four buddies were lowering you down? I don't know, maybe you feel a little bit embarrassed, afraid, maybe a little anxious. I mean, what if they drop me? <laughs> what if the rope breaks? What if I slide off the mat? What if the owner of the house takes me to court for putting in a sunroof without a, a county permit? What if the Pharisees give me a hard time? There's a bunch of them down there, and I can already see their judgmental stares. What if I'm just wasting my time? 
What if I wind up worse off than when I started? What if Jesus gets mad at me for interrupting his sermon? Funny story in Ireland, right? Sitting in a very traditional church service in Newcastle, right? Beautiful church. My, phone's, my phone is on silent. Out of nowhere, Siri goes, sorry, lost, the guy's getting ready to pray. Andrew's getting ready to pray. I'm, I'm second row. Sorry, we lost connection. I'm going to try again. I got to pull my phone off and turn it off. After church, I talked to Andrew, the pastor there. I said, hey, did, did you? Did you hear a phone go off when you were getting ready to pray? He goes, yeah, I did. I said, that was me, Andrew. I confess, right? Uh, he was okay. He wasn't bothered um, but by interrupting a sermon, and neither was Jesus on this day. But again, a, a lot of reasons for this guy to not let his buddies do this. But, but listen, he didn't let the thoughts in his head Keep him from moving forward to change, right? And we need to do the same thing, right? We can't let the thoughts in our heads, right? You know, you know, and maybe when you think about change, you got fearful thoughts, doubtful thoughts. You cannot let the thoughts in your heads. And anytime those thoughts begin to rise up in your head about that, you can't be who you want to be. You need to do what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. You need to take those thoughts, what? Captive, Right? captive. I'm not going to listen to that stinking thinking. Okay, you're the guy, and the mat falls down right in the middle of the room. It's totally silent. Everybody is waiting to hear what Jesus is going to say, right? Your heart is pounding. Your, your palms are, are sweating. Your mind is racing. You, you want to look down, but for some reason, you, you, can't, take, you can't take your eyes off of Jesus, and Matthew records the very first words that Jesus said to this guy. You know what he said? Be encouraged, young man. The Greek there means don't be afraid. Be courageous. In other words, take heart, cheer up, don't give up, don't be afraid. It's okay, you're not bothering me. I'm glad you came, I can help you. First thing he does is he eases her fears. Why? Because Jesus cared about how that man felt point. Jesus cares about how you feel. If you're discouraged, he cares about that discouragement this morning. If you feel lonely, he cares about your loneliness. If you are feeling frustrated or worried or frightened or insecure or anxious or confused, he cares about that too. And listen, if change you know, if getting off that mat, if stepping out to become who you were created to be scares you, he cares about that too. Get it? Good. And now, why is his first response to ease our fears? Because fear keeps us from changing. Right? We think about change, we think, what, what's going to happen to me? What if I can't do it? What if I, what if I fail? What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I'm worse off than when I started? I don't really like this, Matt, but at least I know this, Matt. <laughs> what if Jesus can't even help me? Listen, when all the great people we read about in the Bible were asked to change and move forward, you know what usually the first response was? Fear, right? Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Esther, David, the disciples. In fact, 
The command, do not be afraid, is the most often quoted command in the entire Bible. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in your heart weighs you down. Anxiety in your heart weighs you down. Anybody feeling weighed down this morning? But an encouraging word cheers you up, right? Have you found that, that to be true? Man, no, like, it, it, it's terrible, right? A terrible day, and then someone comes up and they encourage you, right? And it, and it cheers you up. That's what Jesus does. He encourages this guy. Uh, another reason Jesus eases this guy's fears is because fear is what keeps you from getting closer to God. You see, one of the reasons we're not closer to God is because we're afraid to get closer to God. We're not closer to God because we're afraid to get closer to God. So here's what happened. We decide to get closer to God and we start thinking things like, what if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? What if he makes me uncomfortable? What if I have to give up control of my life? He will. What if I don't like it? What if I don't measure up to God's standards? What if I, what if I make a promise and break it and feel like a failure? I understand failure, right, is not falling down. Failure is what? Refusing to get back up, right? What if I can't change? What if I can't do this? What if God doesn't like me because of the past? You see, Fear can keep us from wanting to get closer to God. But we need to push past that fear because the reason we're afraid is because we don't really know God. Because if we knew him, yes, we would fear him, but we would not be afraid of him. The Bible says perfect love does what? Drives out. Perfect love drives out. Drives out fear. Drives out fear. Are, are you tracking with me? See, what I'm trying to say is the better we know God, and I'm so included in this, I'm, a, I'm messed up. If you're here for the first time, you have no idea, right? Buy me some coffee, give me four hours, and we can get my introduction, right? My preface, right? I, I am really a messed up person, right? Absolutely messed up. But what I'm trying to say is that the more we know God, the less fears we will have, right? Here is something I heard years and years ago. Don't know where it started. Who said it first? You know, fear God, fear nothing else. Don't fear God. You fear everything else. You see, God, here's how God wants me and you to live our lives. To be always fearful of him, who he is, and living under the umbrella of his grace and mercy, always fearful, never afraid. Always fearful, but never afraid. Always fearful of our God, a loving, fearful reverence, and never afraid because our God is, our God is with us. Maybe you heard of a guy named David, and he knew about fear. He spent a lot of his life running and hiding from King Saul, running and hiding from his own sin and failures. And he prayed in Psalm 34. He says, I asked the Lord for help. Why did he ask the Lord for help? Because he trusted the Lord. He trusted the Lord because he, he knew the Lord. I love this. I asked the Lord for help, and he answered me 
And he freed me from all my anxious fears. Do you have any anxious fears? Would you like to be free of them? God can set you free. And and you know how, how he frees you from those fears? By reminding you that he's always with you in this journey of change to who you were always meant to be. I mean, to a reluctant 80-year-old guy hiding in the desert, and that's most definitely not the you God created Moses to be, God said, I will be with you. Uh, To a frightened, overwhelmed general about to take on a superior army, God said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for you're a smart guy, you're a strong guy, you read a lot of books, no, no. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. To 11 frightened guys who were terrified of the the task they were giving of making disciples of all nations, Jesus says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the ages. And to anyone in this room who, who wants to change, who wants to be different, who wants to become the you that God created you to be, God says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Get it? Good. Eases our fears. Next, he eliminates your guilt. Second thing Jesus says to this guy is, your sins are forgiven. Now, time out. Okay, I thought this dude came for a healing. So, so why did Jesus say, your sins are forgiven? I mean, I mean what's going on? I think if most of us are honest, we, like the guy maybe in Luke 5, we tend to ask God to, to do more work on the external circumstances of our life than we do asking him to change us on the inside, right? Fix my job, fix my marriage, fix my finances. You know. Rarely do we say, fix my pride, fix my arrogance, fix my sharp tongue, fix my judgmental attitude, fix my intolerance of people that are different than I am. But Jesus always goes beneath the surface and deals with the root issue. And so when he sees this guy, he, he doesn't just see a guy broken physically, he sees a guy broken, broken spiritually, not just a twisted body, he sees a, a twisted soul. And you may think, okay, what, what kind of sins could a, a guy on a mat commit anyway? Listen, the deadliest sins are the ones that you, you and I could commit without lifting the finger, right? Envy, jealousy, resentment, anger, bitterness, pride, arrogance, slander, gossip. And Jesus saw this broken spirit and he knew that before this guy could really be healed, really change, he needed to deal with that. And, and it's the same with us. See, a healing needs to take place before we can change. And, and what many of us need to be healed from is guilt. See, some of us have a hard time moving forward because we can't get past the guilt. Anybody ever feel guilty about something? I'm only one guilty person in the room on the stage. Okay, I got two. Okay, two. Hands being raised. All the other guilty people sit down. All right, I'm not alone. Trapped in guilt over what we did, over what we should 
done, but we, we didn't. And the result is we feel unworthy, right? I, I don't deserve a second chance. Like I've had like a hundred of them. Not, not after all I've done, regret and guilt. So Jesus deals with deep, deep riches and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. I forgive you. Can you think of three more powerful words, right? I mean, our whole world needs to hear those words, right? I mean, moms and dads and husbands and wives and sons and daughters and friends and cousins and uncles and grandparents, they need to hear those words. We need to hear them, right? We need to hear some people tell us, I forgive you, and maybe we need to say that to somebody, right? You know what? I I forgive you. I I release you. I no longer hold this against you. See, we all need it, right? Because we've all blown it. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Guilt. Guilt can be very paralyzing. David experienced that. I mean, guilt can rob you of your energy, your strength, your joy, your future, your life. Here's what David wrote when he was suffering with guilt because he hadn't yet repented of his sin. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. You ever feel that way? <laughs> you got, and the life is just sucked out of you, right? This guilt, it's there. It's there when you wake up and it's there to greet you on your pillow at night. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and, and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you took away the guilt of my sin. So should a follower of Jesus Christ feel guilty? Yes, for about two minutes. That's about how long it should take us to realize, you know what, I screwed up. I blew it. I repent and I confess. Lord, I'm sorry. I want to change. I want to be different. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants to ease your fears and eliminate your guilt so that you can change. That's what the cross is all about. And when it comes to forgiveness, Jesus shows us forgiveness at its best. Jesus forgives instantly. Isaiah 55, 7, God is merciful and quick to forgive. I like that. He doesn't make us wait. He doesn't delay. See, God always races out to meet the prodigal, right? Anybody glad that God is quick to forgive, right? That he doesn't make you grovel? You know, all right, I'll think about it. Come back tomorrow at noon. We'll talk about it again. No, he, God loves to forgive. The moment we repent, Jesus forgives completely. That's hard for us to understand, right? Because we don't usually do that. You and I are much better, right, at keeping a record of wrongs. Where we think we've forgiven, I mean, we really do, right? But then we get in that little battle, and we pull that sucker out. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> what about this? Right? But Jesus forgives completely. Check out this. Like, this is true. You were dead because you were sinful and were not God's people, but God let Christ make you alive when he forgave all our sins. God wiped out the charges that were against us for disobeying the law of Moses. He took them away and nailed them to a cross. Hebrews 8, 12. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. That's the gospel, and that's good news. 
In Christ, God forgives all your sins. He wipes them out. He takes them away. He nails them to the cross, and he remembers them no more. In Christ, God forgives all your sins. He wipes them out. He takes them away. He nails them to the cross and remembers them no more. In Christ, God forgives all your sins. He wipes them out. He takes them away. He nails them to the cross, and he remembers them no more. Amen. Thank you, God. And if you feel guilty over a sin that you've confessed, that is not from God. I guarantee it. You have already been forgiven. That guilt is from the devil. You need to forgive yourself. If God can forgive you, then you need to forgive you too. That's what I love about that song, Oh How He Loves Me. My favorite line in the whole song is, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about how he loves me, right? I, I, I don't have time to think about how bad I am, screwed up I am, all my mistakes when I think about how much God truly and dearly loves me. And he forgives us freely, right? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. Matter of fact, you don't. And the third thing Jesus does, we see in the story, is he enables you to do what seems impossible. Yeah. Think about it. Jesus asked this guy to do the very thing he's never been able to do. <laughs> he's an invalid. He's been carried everywhere. And Jesus looks at him and says, I want you to stand up, take your mat, and get out of here. You're healed. Why in the world did Jesus do that? Why did he ask him to do the impossible? Because he wanted to stretch his faith. You see, faith is not just something you simply believe. Faith is something you do. Faith is not... It is, is not something you think about. Faith is something you act on. Faith is not just a, a, a conviction, an opinion, or a philosophy. Faith is an activity. It, it's doing and obeying what God tells you to do. Faith is building an ark in a desert. It's stepping into the valley to face a giant. Faith is, is having a child when you're old. It's leaving everything to follow Jesus. It's forgiving those who hurt us. It's praising God even in the middle of a fiery furnace. And listen, all those huge things began with Small steps of obedience, right? I mean, David had to take that first step into the valley, right? And, and, and Noah had to drive down to Lowe's, right, with the, with the shopping list in his hand, right? It just, just a small step. And, and when it comes to change and a new and better life, dream big and start how? Start small, right? Take that first step, right? Get that momentum going. What is God asking you to do that looks impossible? What is he asking you to believe? What is he asking you to change? Where is he asking you to go? How is he trying to stretch you? And what is your response? I'll never be able to break that habit. I'll never be able to recover from that failure. I'll never be able to start over or overcome this the pain of this loss, I could never forgive that person who hurt me. I, I, I'll never be able to go back and face what I've been running from all these years. I'll, I'll never be able to be different. I'll never see my dreams realized. It's too late for me. I'll never become what I always wanted to be. I'll never be able to do that, say that, be that, or go there. And you're right. You never will. Not on your own. You need Jesus. See, Jesus said 
to his guys one time who looked at something that would not and could not be possible from a human standpoint. And he says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible, right? With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. Look three people in the eye and tell them all things are possible with God. Your, your greatest need and my greatest need is not relief from our problems or removal of obstacles, but to see how big our God really is. His greatness is indescribable. His power is uncontainable. And his love is immeasurable. Your greatest need is to see the, the greatness of his love, his majesty, and his forgiveness. And the more you understand how big and how loving God is, the more possible that change becomes in your own mind and here's the really good news. When God asks you to do something that seems humanly impossible, when God asks you to do something that seems humanly impossible, like going another round in your marriage, like overcoming that habit, that struggle that you've been holding, holding you back for years, like doing the very thing you've tried and failed at more times than you can count. When God asks you to do something that seems impossible, he gives you the power to do it. I mean, the very instant, right, that guy put his hands down, right, and pushed up on that mat, at that very moment, Jesus gave him the power to get up. And, and here's the point, making changes in your life, being someone different doesn't solely depend on you. That's good news, right? It's a process, This becoming a new person is a partnership, and it's a two-legged partnership, right? And we're cruising down towards the end, kind of, right? But this is important. If you want to change, you want to be different, you want to be the you you're created to be. It's a partnership. And first, it's God in us, right? This verse is kind of ridiculous. I'll keep on working to complete your salvation with fear and trembling because God you know, the ocean-holding, star-breathing God. God is working in you. Not might be, could be, should be, hope to be. God is working in you to help you want to do and be able to do what pleases him. Do you hear, do you hear what he, that's saying? That if you're a Jesus follower, God is working in you to help you do the very things that you cannot do on your own. And that's good news, helping you to change, to be new, to be different, to go where you've never gone before, to be who you were created to be. Listen, David and Moses and Esther, Gideon, Joshua, they did not do that on their own. They were in a partnership with God. Right, that's why Paul wrote these words. I love this. You know, Christ in you, our hope of glory, right? I mean, your hope of becoming everything God wants you to be is not your own strength. It's Christ in you, your hope of glory. And then it's a partnership with other believers. Without his four buddies, right? Without his four friends here. I'm going to go home and color this, right? Without his four friends, would this guy ever have gotten at that room where Jesus was? 
Wouldn't happen. Not even close. He'd be stuck outside in the heat on the road in the dirt. He couldn't get in. But see, he got by with a little help from his friends. What would you say if I sang out of tune? <laughs> You'd say, hey, that must be Steve because I hear something out of tune. Hey, be nice. He got by with his friends. You see, now it, 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 it is a very vulnerable thing to have someone carry your mat. See, when someone carries your mat, they, they see your weakness. They might hurt you if they drop you. And the cool thing is, this guy's mat, which should have created a division, a huge gulf between them, instead became an opportunity for servanthood and acceptance. And here's the truth about us. Everybody has a mat. And let that mat stand as a picture of human brokenness, of human imperfection. It's that it's what's not normal about me. It's what's not normal about you. It's that little as-is tag that we want to hide from everybody. But listen, it's only when we let other people see our mat, when we give and receive help, that healing becomes possible. Now, maybe your, your mat is a temper you can't control, and you lash out at people who you most want to love. Maybe your mat is fear. Maybe you're mad is the inability to, to trust or the need to be in control or, or the inability to speak the language of the heart. Maybe your mat involves a, a, a terrible secret of something awful that you had done or was done to you and you feel guilty about it. Now maybe you're mad is a crushing sense of failure or inadequacy or plainness or loneliness. You know, sometimes people spend their whole life doing mat management. They pretend they don't have a mat. I can't even spell mat, right? They appear to be so healthy and strong. And most people assume, you know what? Those people can get up and walk anywhere, anytime they want. You see, the primary goal is to hide their brokenness from the eyes of others. Listen, if this is you, you may get quite good at hiding your mat. You may convince everybody of your strength and competence, but you will never live in community, and you will miss out on the empowering partnership of being with other people. So let me ask you a personal question. Who carries your mat for you sometimes? Who do you show your weaknesses and struggles to? Who do, you ask, who do you ask to pray for you? And not like praying for traveling mercies or something like that, right? Who do you let see your brokenness? Bottom line, if you want a deep friendship and true partnership in the journey of change, you can't always be the strong one. You sometimes have to let somebody else carry your mat. And that, you know, that's what happens, right, in this story. And there's all this, this, this group becomes friends. I don't maybe it's because this, this one guy's mat was so obvious, right? He couldn't hide it that, you know, it's just out there, hey, I'm just broken. And his, his brokenness being out there enabled everybody else to be a little bit more honest, right? That's what I've always loved that when I visit maybe a, um, you know, 
AA meeting, right, or, or something like that. I mean, they're just honest. Hey, I, I'm broken. Man, I, I got issues. I, I, I messed up. I'm struggling with this. And, and because of this, against all odds, that they form this community that one author calls the fellowship of the mat. Galatians says, carry one another's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Understand, Matt acknowledging and Matt caring is what church is supposed to be about. Now, we're going to sometime get the people who went to Romania and the summer conferences and went to Ireland, like on a Sunday night, have some food and talk about it, our trip. But, you know, I, I saw burdens shared, you know, on our team that were incredible. And I saw the church in action. And I saw, I, I, I saw a bunch of guys, right? holding ropes to their friends. As people talk about brokenness, as a young lady, 21, shared about how just six months ago her, her three-year-old niece was murdered and, and how the community blamed them. And they're being gossip and slandered through the whole community and getting hurt by everybody. Several girls stood up and they shared about how they had been sexually abused. And, and, and one guy was 15, but it was a mountain of a guy just was broken and we're walking this trail in Ireland around this lake and he's like hanging back and like hey dude what's going on and so Laura and I hang back and Richie the guy from Riot took the rest of the team and we sat back on the bench and he cried for like uh, 10 minutes and sure what's going on in his life with his dad leaving and going to be 800 miles away and there's just a lot of devastation in his life and he wanted to share it with the group, his testimony. He was afraid to and nervous about it. And I saw him share 11 o'clock in this room. And he shared, he cried. And I saw a room of people that didn't even know each other surround this young man and pray over him in tears for 30 minutes, right? He said, here's my mat. I'm broken. And I saw what it's like when we're vulnerable. We say, hey, this is me and I, I need help. And I don't want to be alone. Now, here's the bottom line. These, these points will be, I'll just hit the points. If you want to be the you you're meant to be, number one, you need to turn to Jesus. Number two, you need to believe that Jesus can help you change. Number three, you need to do what he tells you to do, even if it seems impossible, Right? I mean, what if the guy didn't do what Jesus said? What if Jesus said, get up, and he just laid there, right? Wouldn't it be terrible to be healed and not walk in that healing? Wouldn't it be terrible to be forgiven and not live in that forgiveness? Wouldn't it be terrible to be set free from all guilt and shame and to not walk in that, in that freedom? And, and, and fourth, you need to partner with a few other believers, You don't have to say the same. Because an all-powerful God wants to walk with you. He wants to ease your fears, right? He wants to eliminate your guilt. He can take care of that guilt. Don't hold on to it. He's already taken care of it. And he wants to work in you to help you. And there's people you can partner with. That's the kind of church we want to be. You know, open and honest, not wearing masks, right? Where we know each other. And pray for each other. That him was able 
to measure more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Yeah, I know it seems like impossible, right, for you to get to where you want to go to be who you want to be. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, not your power, his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And Holy Spirit, do your thing. Do it in me right now. Thank you for loving me and liking me. I thank you that I don't have to be somebody else. I just got to be the best version of the me that you created me to be. Help me to do that. Help those in this room to do that. And Jesus, help us to form little fellowships of the mat where we don't have to do life alone and be open and honest and vulnerable with our brokenness. And may we be a place where people get healed and get better. In Jesus' name, amen.